Okay, we are continuing on the chronological life of Jesus. We are uh, reading in Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. And, and uh, uh, just to recap, we have been several years in the chronolo- chronological life of Jesus. We are now in the Tuesday of the last week of his life. He's going to be crucified on a Friday. We are in the Tuesday of the last week of his life. So you can see that, that uh, we've covered most of it, but there's a lot in the Gospels about this last week of his life. On Monday of that week, the, the Israelites would set aside the lamb for the four days of inspection to make sure that that lamb was, was without spot and blemish. They would set aside the Passover lamb. It was a time of testing for the lamb to ensure, it's, it's, uh, to ensure the lamb's uh, uh, being spotless and without blemish. And so that's what, what the time was set aside for. And you can see that this is going to be a testing time for Jesus Christ, that, that uh, he will be tested in this time. And, and, and these are some of the testings. But, but where we are in this is Jesus had just, has just given a parable, uh, a, a teaching on prayer. And last week we talked about many answers to prayer. And I, I spoke from my own testimony about the way God has interceded on my own life where I've received many answers, very clear and distinct answers to prayer. And now, now let's pick it up in Mark chapter 11, verse 24. Mark 11:24. Now I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them and they will be granted you. Whenever you stand praying, forgive if you, have any, if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive your transgressions. And verse 26 is, is deleted in the, in the NIV because some manuscripts don't have it, but it's present in, in other translations. Verse 26 says, But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive your transgressions. So let me read verse 25 again. Whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive your transgressions. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive your transgressions. So Jesus just completes a teaching on prayer. And He's speaking to them that as we pray, we are to believe we are to, to believe these things as if we have received them already. This is what He has for us. Uh, by the way, there are, there are still many chairs along this side and, and up in front here if you need a place to sit. Many along there. Okay, so, so um, he, says, he says that He brings up this issue of forgiveness. This to Him is really important. Why does He keep having to mix this issue of forgiveness with prayer? He does this over and over again. I want you to look in Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew chapter 6 is this passage that we call the Lord's Prayer. We call it the Lord's Prayer probably because He taught us to pray it, but it's really our prayer. This is the way He taught us to pray. In response to the question, how do you pray? This is what He says. In Matthew chapter 6, we are going to be reading from verse 9. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Pray then in this way, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day 
our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. So that is Matthew 6, verse 12. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. This is what we are to pray. And then the next verse is, And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive others their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. You know, that's pretty powerful. He says, if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. And it's like, that sounds pretty hard. I mean, that doesn't sound very Christian. I mean, this is really tough. But it's just an answer to prayer. Because up in verse 12 it says, And forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. So you know what God says? Okay. The same way you forgive, I'll forgive you. You just ask me to do that, so I'll do it. This is in response to a prayer. Lord, in the same way that I forgive others, so forgive me. And the Lord says, okay. In verse 14, if you forgive others their transgressions, for if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive others, your Father who is in heaven will not forgive your transgressions. You forgive, you'll be forgiven. You don't, you won't. I don't know what this means theologically for salvation if we've given our heart to the Lord. But nor do I want to experience what it might mean on the negative side. He calls us to forgiveness. He says, if you're going to pray and appeal to me for things, I want to make sure that you're walking in forgiveness. Because what happens is, if we are holding a grudge against another, it binds us to that individual. And what I want to share with you, just as I shared with you last week, just about answered prayer in my own life, I want to share with you instances of forgiveness when, when I was challenged to forgive in my own life and the responses and the effects of that so that I can bring this close to home. In, 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 in the service today, you heard about other people and the, and the, the forgive, forgiveness that had to be wrought in their lives. But now you're going to hear just about a regular guy, just someone just like you, that, that, that uh, uh, things have come in my life. One day, um, when I was an, an assistant professor, there was, a, um, there was a guy that we hired the year after me and so we each had our own tenure track slot, meaning that we weren't both competing for the same position of tenure. There were two tenure tracks, both for tenured positions. Well, when he came in, so he started a year after I did, and a very talented young man. And about six months after he had arrived at the university in his position, so I had been there a year longer than him, he came in my office, and, and I remember he, he put his arm up on the cabinet and he was leaning there. And he looked at me and he said, I'll get tenure before you ever do. Now, that's, that's, that's not normally said in my business. That is the equivalent of that would be somebody walking up to you and saying, I'm better looking than you are. That's the, it's, it, that's the equivalent of it. And even if it were true, it's a very ugly thing to say. So, so people shouldn't say that type of thing. 
well, what happened in my career is my career just really took off. Right, right from the beginning, God blessed my career so much. And I went from having a little metal graduate student desk with a concrete floor to having a big wooden desk with a, with a carpeted floor and a front office with a secretary. And I was in the back office. God just really blessed. And this, this young guy was like most young guys starting out. They don't get blessed so fast. And so my career took off and his, his really didn't. And so one day an undergraduate came to my office and she said, you know, I really liked your class. You were always so nice. But that, that professor across the hall, he's always saying bad stuff about you. And he, she says, it bothers me because I, I know what you're like. And, and so I was really upset. You know, remember, I was, I was younger. I, was, I started in, in my faculty position when I was 28. So I was, you know, n- not much different in age th- than many of you. And, and I had a, a lot of testosterone running through my body. And I... I went across the hall and I knocked on his door because I was really going to give it to the guy and say, look, you know, you can't do this because if you, if faculty start telling undergraduates about other faculty, it just, it's like fire. Just even, this was pre-Twitter and, and, uh, but still things could move rather rapidly across a campus. And so I, I was ready to give it to him and I knocked on his door and there was no answer. He wasn't in. And then God started to speak to me from Luke chapter 6. I had been memorizing the entire chapter with my children. Um, so so, so um, I, I, I had memorized, we'd been memorizing this chapter in Luke chapter 6. And, and in, it says, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. And those words just come, were like God speaking to me. Pray for those who mistreat you. That I was to pray for those people who mistreated me. That's what I was supposed to do. And I said, okay, Lord, I'll pray for him. And I dedicated that I would spend some time at midday, each, each midday, to go and to pray for this guy. Because even to this day, from the time I was an undergraduate till now, I break some time in the middle of the day and I'll go off and pray. Sometimes I'll pray in my office. A lot of times I just go to the chapel and pray. If it's nice out, I may go outside somewhere and pray. But I started to pray that God would really bless his work and that he would really get, an, he would get this NIH grant. He had never gotten the big NIH grant that everyone in his field had to get. Well, his career just started rocketing. He got the big NIH grant. His group started growing. He got a nicer desk. He got a nicer office. And God really blessed him. And, and about two years after this event occurred, he did so well that he got an offer from another university. He took the offer and he left. And I was delighted to see him go. But, but God had gotten hold of my heart to just walk in forgiveness toward him. What was interesting is he never asked me to forgive him for the things that he had done. I never even confronted with him, him with it. I just started praying for him. And what God taught me is that I want these problems removed from my life, but it's like a cancer in my heart. And once God frees that from my heart, then he can remove this problem from my life. So he was there because God had him there in my life to get a hold of my heart. And once my heart was dealt with, I could pray for him, sincerely pray for him, and, and, uh, and then, then God could remove the problem. 
But God was using this in my heart to learn how to walk in forgiveness, to pray for those who mistreat me. It's a very specific thing, and He never asked me to forgive. Did you know it says that, that Jesus forgives us? He looked down on the cross and He said, Father, as He's up on the cross, He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Do you think that they were coming and saying, saying, oh, please forgive us for what we've done? No, they were coming there and they were mocking Him. They were mocking Him and He says, Father, forgive them. So if you think that forgiveness should only be given if somebody asks for forgiveness, if it's, well, when they ask forgiveness for forgiveness, then I'll forgive them, you're not going to be doing much forgiving in life because very few people ask for forgiveness. God, it says that while we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. He is the one who initiates forgiveness even before we ask. Isn't that interesting that it is God in heaven who initiates forgiveness long before forgiveness is ever asked? And if God in heaven can initiate forgiveness toward those of us who live on earth, who are very far separated from Him in power, how much more should we grant forgiveness to those who offend us long before they ever ask for forgiveness? There was a colleague at, 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 at Rice, I had invited uh, Hugh Ross to campus to speak. Hugh Ross was a, uh, um, he, he speaks on intelligent design, but it goes actually much deeper than intelligent design. He has the RTB model of, of, of uh, um, creation, how God created things. He's not a theistic evolutionist, uh, uh, but he's a creationist, but it's a very sophisticated scientific model that he talks about. And, and uh, so I had invited him to speak on campus, and I sent out an email to my department inviting everybody to go to this seminar. Well, then the next day after I sent out this email, there was a, there was a uh, faculty meeting, and uh, I walked into this faculty meeting, and everybody was quiet. Oh, okay, everybody's quiet today. I sit down, and one guy says, I can't even stay in this room with Jim after what he did. He says, I just can't even be here. And he got up and he walked out. And I'm looking around, who is this Jim who did something? <laughs> you know, looking all over, where, what's going on? What, what did this person do? You know, I have to take care of him. And then everybody's looking at me. I'm like, what did I do? It's like, the email you sent. Email? What email did I send? The Hugh Ross thing. Oh, because I invited the department to attend the Hugh Ross lecture. And then the person leading the meeting, it wasn't the department chair, she went around and she asked everybody to comment what they thought. Now, so what happened was, it wasn't just what they thought about this. People started commenting on other things. One woman said, and you... Remember, you gave me that Bible, and it terrified me. Bible? Bible? I gave you a Bible? I said, you know, I don't remember, but I could have. I give out a lot of Bibles. I could well have given you a Bible. And I said, oh, you mean the time that I invited you out to lunch when you were an assistant professor, and it was to encourage you? She says, yes, that day. She said, it reminded me of my mother. 
My mother does that type of thing. So I was, okay. And then, then, then it went to the next one. And then it got to one guy. He said, there are three axes of evil. Three axes of evil. One is Holocaust denial. Another is child pornography. And the third is intelligent design. Wow. You know, and then, once they got all done, I, I still hadn't had a chance to say anything. She said, I think we need to go around again. So then they went around again. Now, several of the assistant professors just got up and left the room because the last thing they wanted to do was to say things to me knowing that I will be judging their tenure cases. So they wisely just got up and left. And then, he, and then, then uh, I, I, said, I said, you know, this is just a matter of free speech. If you went to this guy's seminar, you would see how intelligent this really is. I said this, and, and the only person to come to my aid was actually uh, uh, Dean Hutchinson. And uh, uh, he was not dean at the time. He was associate dean. He said, again, it is a matter of free speech. We have lots of things come up on campus, and we have, as a campus have taken it as a matter of free speech. And what even came up, if people want to deny the Holocaust and they're invited in to give a lecture, let them say their piece. And let the community judge them. The community will judge it. Let the community judge. If somebody wants to come up and extol the virtues of, uh, of child pornography and they're invited to speak, let them say it. And then let the community judge them. This is a secular university. We allow this type of thing and let the community make the judgment. And so, so but not on this issue. They, so the woman running the meeting said, I had to go and apologize to the person who left the room. I said, I should I said, he said his piece and left the room. I didn't even get a chance to share. Okay, all right, I'll call him. So I got back to my office and I called him. There was no answer. And I had to leave just right, right at that hour for California. So I had, had to leave for the airport. And it really bothered me. I mean, it just, you know, I, I don't know if things like this would bother you, but it really shook me. And so travel to California, I get there. And I remember um, before I, I went to bed that night, I, I was just praying about this issue. And God reminded me, from a verse that I had memorized. It was when Pilate's wife came to Pilate the, the, the day that he was going to condemn Jesus. And she said, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I suffered greatly in a dream last night because of him. Now, he should well have listened to his wife. Um, uh, but she said, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, because I suffered greatly in a dream last night because of him. And... And God just spoke to me from that verse saying, that man is not going to sleep well tonight. Okay. So I went to bed. In the morning, I was checking my email, and there was a, a, an email from this guy. Not just to me, but it was copied to everyone who was in that faculty meeting. And he said, I wrote a long email describing why I was justified in saying what I said. But I've deleted it because I felt too convicted. Jim has been such a great colleague. I can't believe the things that I've said. And he said, I will regret this for the rest of my career. That was kind of nice of him to, to send this to, to, the, to the whole group. And so when I got, and, and, and uh, so indeed, and he even said in there, I was up all night. And so <laughs> what God had said to me really took place. And then, then when I got back to campus, I saw him in a seminar, and, and I walked right up to him, and I shook his hand. He says, look, for the rest of my career, I'm going to regret this. 
And I said, look, don't worry about it. I am the master at saying things that I regret. I do this all the time. Just forget about it. He became my greatest advocate. There was a, a time in my career where, where, where in, in uh, around 2008, when funding really dried up, and before I learned how to get money from industry, that my group was actually, actually uh, uh, in the red, in, meaning that there was debt. And he was putting money because now, at this time, he later became part, uh, the chair of the department. He was putting money into my account without even telling me, just to keep me afloat. Then when I found out, I mean, I was so grateful. And, and I had, in fact, spoken highly of him to get that chair position. And now he's moved on up the chain, so now he's, he's actually in the Allen Center. And, and uh, uh, so he's moved on up the chain, again, at my recommendation, but he has become my greatest advocate. And in fact, even just yesterday, he sent me an email saying it, how much he's learned from me as a colleague. We've become really good friends. And he's not a believer in Jesus, but we've become really solid friends. When you extend forgiveness to somebody, sometimes they can become your greatest advocate. People who put you down. You know, we should somehow sometimes expect that. I mean, we're not popes, so we're not infallible. If people say, say things about us that, that aren't quite right, maybe, they, maybe you know, there is some shred of, of truth in that. Just let the thing go. Just let it go and walk in forgiveness. Um, you know, you know uh, uh, those who criticize us Charles Spurgeon says, those who criticize us are probably no more mistaken than those who praise us. You know, so, so if people really knew us, I mean, they, 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 would, they would see. So let me give you another example. And this was probably the biggest example ever in, in, that had hit me and my family. And, and uh, uh, I don't like to take questions about the details of this because I, I don't share the details because it, it's too tender on my family. So, so uh, you can ask, but we're not going to answer, so I'd appreciate that, that you don't ask. But what had happened is a man committed a crime against my family. And uh, um, so there was a, you know, things take a long time to get into court. I wasn't suing anyone. This was, he violated a state law by, by doing what he did. And uh, um, so it ended up, the, the, the state was taking him to court. And uh, so we had to be there, and it was just a horrendous time on my whole family and, and what had happened to us. And so um, uh, this, this, this trial took place, and this man had even confessed to doing it. And then he retracted his confession. So anyway, lawyers have all their little ways of manipulating things. And the guy... Even all, all the, 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 the bailiff and the guys who are always in the courtroom, the guards and stuff, they, they even told me, they said, this, this guy, he's just done for. He's just done for. Don't worry about that. Well, it turned out he was found not guilty. And, uh, uh, you know, we were just devastated. And, and so as a family. And uh, we had to walk in forgiveness, but it didn't end there. So as a result of this guy still being on the street, it didn't stop. I mean, and, and finally to the point where the district attorney's office told us we ought to move out of the state. And so we were living in another state, and we had to end up moving out of state, moving to a different location. And so we moved out of our home, and then, and then, and then it, it, it turned out that still didn't take care of it. We had to eventually move out of state, and that's when I got the uh, really great offer from another state. And so I took the offer and we went. 
We've had to take that situation, and I have said this man's name over and over again, saying, Lord, I forgive him. Lord, I forgive him. Now, I wasn't allowed to speak to him. The district attorney said, never go near this man. And, uh, uh, but I've said, Lord, I forgive him. There is no way that I wanted to be bound to this man. And each person in my family had to go through this and speak this forgiveness to the Lord of him. Because I didn't want to be bound to this man and keep this bitterness and this hardness in my heart as a result of this. We had to let this go. Forgiveness is a real thing. You want to pray? He calls us to forgiveness. I know that there's many people in here who have been abused. Lots of people grow up sexually abused. I am not the one asking you to forgive. God is the one who comes to you and says, forgive. He says, forgive. You want forgiveness? You forgive. The same way you forgive another you will be forgiven. This is what he says. The same way you forgive another. There are some that have, have been abused by parents. Forgive. And it, this man never came to me and never asked forgiveness. In fact, when he was found not guilty, it emboldened him. And so, so uh, uh, don't expect people to ask forgiveness. But you must proclaim forgiveness. Even when you don't feel like it. You say, Lord, I forgive that person. And name them by name to the Lord. Lord, I forgive that person. And you will see and say, now, Lord, work the forgiveness in my heart. Lord, I forgive that person. Now work the forgiveness in my heart. And allow God to work that forgiveness. If you've never been hurt in that way, in a deep way, praise God. But there will come a time when someone who's really dear to you will hurt you. Students sometimes say to me, you don't know what my parents did, have said to me. You don't know what my parents... I'm like, you don't know what my kids have said to me. <laughs> but I must initiate forgiveness. I must initiate forgiveness. We are to proclaim forgiveness. And it's, it's not just in the deep things, it's in the little things. And, and then to realize that, that we have so often offended others. You know, oh, this guy, he, he cut in my lane and he didn't even signal. Like, have I ever moved into someone's lane without signaling? Ever? The answer is yes, I have. If you haven't, trust me, one day you will. The thing that you think you won't do, you'll end up doing. I remember this, this one young lady, she, this was back in the rec center years ago when they used to give you a lock and a locker and, and uh, uh, they'd assign one to you, and they'd give you the lock. And, and uh, uh, so they had, they had the combination for all the locks. And this, I was standing up at the, at, at the check-in desk there, and this one college student, she walked up, she says, I forgot the combination to my locker. I just forgot. I'm thinking, college student? She's like, not elementary school. I didn't say this, but... but uh, and so she asked the guy for the combination. The guy opened the book and found the combination and gave it to her so she could go and open her locker. That same day, after my workout, I, walk, I had already opened my locker to get my stuff, to put, put the gym stuff on, and I went to, what's my combination? <laughs> what is my combination? I could not remember my combination. That same day that I had judged her for not knowing her combination, I couldn't remember my combination. 
I mean, God works in my life. He really does. I could not... And I, you know, sheepishly walk up to the guy and say, could you tell me my combination? No, because I'm just all sweaty in gym clothes. I, there's nothing I could do. I don't have my car keys. I, I, I couldn't do anything. I was, I was strapped there. And, and so, so he had to give me my combination. He's just looking at me like, Professor can't even remember his combination. <laughs> anyway, I still have that same lock because once they changed the system, they just gave us those locks. But anyway, uh, if you've never cut in front of somebody for not singling, you will one day. You'll make a turn without singling. And just remember... Somebody has forgiven you. So often we do things, remember, we have done the same thing to others. God calls us to forgive in both the little and the great. He calls us to walk in forgiveness. You know, there's a few principles that I know that if if students can get hold of, they're going to have good lives. The number one thing is that you meditate on the Scriptures because in that is embodied everything. If, I, if you would get daily reading the Scriptures and meditating upon it, you will be fine in your life. You don't need me. You don't need anybody. The Lord will direct you on what to do. Embodied within that, Jesus said the greatest commandments are these, that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, and that you love your neighbor as yourself. The first part deals in your relationship to God. The second part deals in your relationship to other people. That embodies the greatest of it. And so when you meditate on the Scriptures, it's all there. But if you would learn to be a generous giver of your money, I know that you'll have a good life and you'll never lack. You say, well, how much should I give? 10% is not a bad place to start. It's really not. And you might say, you know, there's nothing in that in the New Testament. You're right. There are examples where people gave everything. Do you want to follow that example? But 10% not, 10% is not a bad place to start. That's like taking a little kid and giving them 10 pennies and saying, I want you to give one away. Oh, no, I'm not going to do that. This is exactly what it looks like in our own lives when we're not willing to give 10%. It's a selfish, it's a good place to start. Another is learning how to serve others. It says that we have been saved, it says in, in Titus chapter 2, Verse 11 through 14, verse 11 uh, through 13, it says that we've been saved for good works. In all other religions, you do good works in order to get saved. In Christianity, you get saved in order to do good works. You serve others and you will have a, a blessed life. And the last thing is that you learn how to walk in forgiveness. It's four very simple things guarantee you a good life. You meditate on the scriptures, you be generous with your money, you have some act of service. You're busy. I know you're busy. You've got, you got exams and everything. But if you can't afford a couple of hours a week in service to others, that doesn't mean that you sat in a pew. That means that you are doing something to serve others. You're teaching a Bible study. You're helping in a kitchen. You're doing something for a couple hours a week. You will have a blessed life. And the last thing is learn to walk in forgiveness and you will be free. You'll be free of all the things that bring wrinkles upon old people. That, that, that this thing of, of hating people and building bridges, you will just have those bridges just falling down in your life. And it is a beautiful thing to go through life. You know, I used to think that I can work with just about anybody. I used to think, you know, I can get along with anybody. When I first started my career, I thought, you know, I can work with anybody. I've come to the point to think, can I work with anyone? You know, my heart is so fickle. My life is just so messed up in so many ways. I've come to the point that I just need the grace of God in everything. 
in relationships. And you will see that there will be instances in your life and it will stack up. If you don't deal with those immediately stack and, and keep them from stacking, just say, Lord, I proclaim forgiveness. You'll start carrying all this baggage. And if you proclaim forgiveness, that baggage is gone. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for Your mercies and Your grace. Thank You, Lord, for Your mercies. Lord, I pray for these young people that You would cause them to walk in forgiveness. That You'd cause them to walk in forgiveness. Father, that they would take this commandment and they would see, just as they forgive others, they will be forgiven. Lord, I pray right now for the young people here who have been sexually abused. I pray that at this moment they would proclaim forgiveness from their hearts to your ears. Proclaim forgiveness. Even if they don't feel it, they would proclaim it. Each day they'd proclaim it till they see you working on their hearts to bring forgiveness. And Father, for those here that don't know You, that have never asked Jesus to come into their lives, that have never bowed their knee and said, Jesus, Lord Jesus, forgive me because I am a sinner. Father, I pray that You draw them right now to a place where they would ask You for forgiveness. And they would so receive Your forgiveness in their own lives. As You've extended forgiveness, they would so receive it. And Father, may their souls be saved. Because there is no way they can walk in forgiveness until they've experienced and taken hold of the forgiveness that you offer. Father, save their souls this day. May they say, Lord Jesus, forgive me because I have sinned against you and come into my life. And Father, I commit them to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.